Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and our producer. We never give him credit, do we, for <laughs> producing this? Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hey, buddy. How are you doing, guys? I'm not too bad, Chris. Not too bad, thank you. Uh, struggling with injuries, like I'm a member of the Spurs squad, as usual. Oh, not anymore. The squad is, is fit and raring <laughs> to go now, mate. All right. Well, you're, you're, you're the Troy Parrot of the Spurs squad. <laughs> uh, it's been a funny old time, hasn't it? I think 2020 is a year that will be studied in the future for a whole host of reasons. Um, but yeah, the week just gone has been really, really difficult. I, I saw a tweet that we are currently living through the times that you see on Wikipedia that says events leading up to. <laughs> that is that is so true. That's absolutely nailed it. Um, I, I, I tweeted um, in response to the Spurs official Black Lives Matter tweet, uh, some sort of snarky comment about they should look at the, the, the nature of the makeup of the boardroom at the club if they really care about mm. it. I mean, I reflected on that afterwards and realised that I'm part of a podcast on which we have three white men. Sure. And we've had numerous special guests where I've done interviews and they've nearly all been white men. And I thought, you know what? I shouldn't be tweeting these kind of things at Spurs Official uh, when I'm I'm not doing my bit myself. So uh, we do need to get some more diverse voices on this podcast. Yeah. If you have ideas on how to do that, please email us at podcast at the extra co.uk um very happy to have people of color give some advice to to a white man like me on on how we improve the diversity of voices in here i think it's really important that we all do our bit um i also found that tweet very 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 depressing because the replies um, were just full of people uh, tweeting all lives matter and such like and frankly just racism um i spent a little time calling some of it out but it kind of got exhausting um so i I don't even I can't even begin to imagine what it's like for black people right now or ever frankly I mean this is just such a difficult time for for people of color and black people in particular my heart goes out to my black friends who are having a rough time with some of the stuff that's happening right now um and I just thought yeah we should we should start by acknowledging that and and saying something any thoughts boys it's a difficult subject to talk about, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very difficult subject. Um, yeah, as a white guy, I find it very difficult to talk about it. I want to say the right thing, but then I'm also you. Also, I also get frightened about saying the wrong thing, and I just try and be. Everyone needs to try and be a better human being, and I, I try my best every day. Sometimes we all fall down, but I do try. I try hard. You're right. You're right. And you know, I feel like I'm in the infancy, the infancy of my journey in terms of knowledge of black issues and black history, and I'm kind of ashamed to say. I'm I'm 35 years old, 36 years old. I should I should be doing better by now. Um, but it's yeah, it, it, to my shame that I'm I'm not. I, I've recently read um, why I no longer talk to white people about or why I'm no longer talking to white people about race by Reniedo Lodge. That opened my eyes significantly. I would urge everyone to read that book if you haven't. It's fantastic and kind of gives you an idea of the black struggle and 
and institutional racism and structural racism um, it really changed my perspectives and has helped me at work frankly as well so that's that's my little um, recommendation of things to read anyway uh, okay sorry. on top of that I would recommend Angela Davis um, freedom is a constant struggle uh, and, and essentially all of her works as well to you and to everyone else listening nice thanks mate thanks for that uh, on the plus side, Spurs are back, right? So I have been obviously quite outspoken about my views on, on football returning. I think it's highly uh, dangerous and risky that football is returning. However, I'm a hypocrite because when I saw the highlights of the 11 v 11 training match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, or White Hart Lane as I call it, uh, I got very excited. I got very, very excited seeing our players in our shirts again, uh, scoring goals, having fun. I, I don't know. I don't don't quite know how to how to feel about this whole thing still but it felt almost like a relief to see them back Bardi how did you feel about it yeah it's one of those weird things where so many bad things are happening but then they show you Tottenham and this football does seem to have this magical power just to make you forget everything else that's going on and um, just watching our players running around in their shirts again just does seem to make everything else just slip away um, I mean the game wasn't the most interesting of games it was, it was kind of boring but I did I did chuckle at um, Delhi's goal and how we still seem to still seem to use Aurier's um, cross the in from the right wing on that cross. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, so it, it, I still think Aurier is going to be key for the rest of the season. Just <laughs> judging by how the, how we played and how we set that goal up. Yeah, there was a, there's a few points of interest I thought from the, the highlights. Um, firstly, that both teams were set up in a four-two-three-one, which I don't suppose I should be at all surprised at because that is a fairly standard. Um, Premier League formation it's a fairly standard Mourinho formation these days but in terms of the personnel it was it was interesting so for example um, the home team if you want to call them that had Oliver Skip Harry Winks and Jedson who could have easily made up a midfield three but mm. Jedson Gedson played out on the right mm. Uh, the other team had Harvey White, Musa Sissoko and Tongi Ondombele, who which easily could have made up a midfield three, but instead White and Sissoko played in the middle of midfield as a pivot and Ndombele played ahead of them. So I was quite intrigued by that. I wondered whether it might have been because Mourinho knows that's what we're going to come up against mostly or whether it just felt right to use the players in those positions to kind of get used to those roles. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts, buddy. I mean, I think Gedson is, is probably a central player, but every time we've seen and play for Spurs. He's played wide. He does mm. kind of have the profile to fit. He's pretty fast. He's got um, he's got a trick or two. He needs to improve his shooting. But um, I, I can see why you'd play him wide and keep Delhi central. Um, the, the strange thing was that we um, we've been so focused on the return of Kane and Son and um, Sissoko for a little bit as well that we've still kind of forgotten the, the key problem of our team is still with that central midfield spot. So even though it's very exciting, all of a sudden I'm now starting to remember, oh, we don't have a <laughs> we don't have the right player to put in the middle. So we can have Son and Kane back and it solves a huge problem, but it doesn't solve the problem, I think, with Spurs. But interesting that they attempted to play Skip with Winks and Harvey White with Sissoko. Uh, it's kind of breaking up the Winks Sissoko partnership and trying different players alongside them. Do you think there's something in that, Nathan? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I I just think they're trying to generally balance the 11s. Mm, right. <laughs> I, I, it's it's really hard to read into like a single training match. Like even like Ndombele as the 10, is that if that's likely to be a thing down the line, I've no idea based on sort of one training selection or, or a short bit of footage of, of sort of one training 
amazing match. Mm. Uh, the I think the, the, essentially the only thing that's worth reading into is the idea is um, Lamella playing up top, which I'm actually not convinced was the case. But if it is the case, then I think that, that you know with Sun out wise, that points to a sort of a, a deliberate trial or something. But everything else is is pretty hard to to read into. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think Sun playing. I think Sun will play wide with Kane, and it just made maybe it just made sense to keep Sun wide and just get him get him into the mould there. And I think Lamella through the middle is simply because Troy Parrott has was he got appendicitis. I mean I mean Troy Parrott, you've you've got a feel for him a little bit that now we're coming into a situation where there's five substitutes, he he would get game time. He's he's injured. It's it's bad luck for the bad luck for the little boy. <laughs> little boy. The little boy. <laughs> well he is he's, he's how old is he? he's eighteen years old. He's sorry, yeah, maybe he's, it's a bit disparaging. Right. But the the young man. In in context of Premier League football you're you're right, yeah. Uh Ishak Isaac Syed says, what is the best formation to play for the remainder of the season? What do you expect us to play, Nathan? Uh, well, we were beginning to play back three quite a bit. Uh, but, but then I think that might have been we played back three for a couple of games in a row in order to prepare to use it against Leipzig. And, and obviously that wasn't worth anything. So I don't know if that was... I, I, I suspect that probably wasn't what he was looking at as a permanent trend. Uh, and yeah, I suppose you can <coughs> read into the 4-2-3-1s a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That just makes sense for our squads. Is what we've seen a lot as well. Mm. I think. Yeah. I think a four-two-three-one or a combination of four-four-three-three. Three, Sun, Kane, Bergvine, and then if he's feeling really bold, which he probably won't. Delhi, um, Endombele, and a holding midfielder while Lacelso is um, injured. Yeah. So there were a few players missing. I mean, we know a player's been diagnosed with coronavirus. I don't want to speculate about who that might be because I, I frankly find that quite inappropriate. It's, um, sure. It's confidential and uh, it's confidential for reason and if the player wants to come out and say then that's fine but let's not speculate about it but there were players missing so Tanganga Sanchez Lacelso, Whiteman Sirkin were all unavailable for, for the training presumably because they've either got little niggles or because they're not quite fully up to speed with the the intensity of the training yet um we've not we've certainly not heard about any injuries other than than Troy Parrott's absence through appendicitis or having had his appendix removed um and it was interesting that Spurs didn't mention anything about injuries let's hope that the Celso hasn't got a, a knock or anything because he was so good um, in the last part of the season that we were playing we, we need him going into the remaining matches for sure so that's that's Spurs being back that's that's a, that's a happy thing um, let's also talk a little bit about transfers because in our absence there's been a bit of speculation there's a few stories have popped up Joey Bier was the the big one last week which I think we need to come back to because he's a player we've spoken of before but there are other links as well including with players who are out of contract and we had a question from uh, Alec. God, how do I say this surname, Bardi? Help me out here. Sorry, which surname? Alec. Uh, Deprinsky. Deprinsky. Yeah. Sorry, Alec, if I got that wrong. <laughs> um, he says, which of these presumably out-of-contract players would you want Spurs to consider signing? I know you've already discussed Meunier and Willian. So he pinpoints Edison Cavani, Dries Mersens, Ryan Fraser, Malang Saar, David Silva, Mario Goetze, Levin Kazawa, Adam Lallana and John Lindstrom, who are all out-of-contract. Um, there are a few names there that I didn't know, so or, or knew but didn't know a lot about. So Malang Sar is a centre back from Nice who's been in the French national team set up since the under 16s all the way up to the under 21s. He's not made a debut for the, for the first team yet, um, French first team yet, but um, 
He's a left-footed centre-back, and they are a fairly rare breed in terms of good ones right now. So that was an interesting name for me. I don't know a lot about Kazawa of, of Paris Saint-Germain, um, but he's been sort of sharing the duties with Juan Bernat this this season, I believe. Uh, Bardi, I know you're a fan of Dries Mertens. Yeah, I mean, Cavani, you, Cavani was the first name you listed. Cavani's an interesting one. He's, he's, a, he's a striker who, who has everything. He's got air, he's, he's amazing in the air. He could smack it. He's good physicality. He's pretty nifty for, for a big chap. But um, he does have a reputation of missing big chances. If you think back to the PSG game where they, they threw away a massive aggregate lead against Barcelona, he think he missed a couple of chances there where he could have buried them. Um, he would command a huge, amount of, a huge amount of wages and I just don't see that as a viable option to have him as an mm. alternate to Harry Kane, despite the fact that he would, he would probably do quite well in a um, better version of Giroud in the Premier League. Dries Mertens is, is a player that, I, that I, I adore. I love, I love the way he plays. He um he was pretty much kind of a, a bit part player at Napoli when they had Higuain leading the line. They were, uh, Insigne, Callejon were the kind of free, and Mertens was the kind of impact sub. Then when they um then when they we'll probably get into this when we talk Milic, but eventually um when they signed Milik to replace Higuain who moved to Juve, um Milik's knees disappeared yeah, and Mertens was thrust into this um, number nine role under Sari, and it's it's a role where he just exploded into life, and he he's scoring insane goals all kinds of goals um, worldies tap-ins all like, and really moving nice and fluid with the front three and he kind of reinvented himself before that he was always a kind of good player but he just went on a different level and I, I've said for a while I think perhaps we're better off playing with a uh, signing a player who maybe isn't a number nine but who can play a variety of roles across the front three perhaps a little bit better than Sun can and Mertens fits that perfectly he's not only is he a really good footballer he's actually a really nice man and even though he's getting on a bit in terms of age I his he's still pretty fit and he's still pretty live for a 33 year old even though you know he's younger than me and calling them trying to say someone's past it at 33 is a bit weird <laughs> but um no he's he's still got it physically and I, I don't see it happening for us but it would be like a, a lovely dream signing great stuff and ryan fraser is another one he has actually been strongly linked nathan what are your thoughts on fraser <laughs> My my initial thought is why are we being linked to a winger again? Why are we linked to and buying a winger every single window when we have this catastrophe of a midfield? Uh, Fraser, he uh, he's nifty. He's tiny. He's played a few games at fullback. Um, wins a lot of fouls. Um, I don't know. I think in a lot of ways he he has a similarity to Lucas. We already have Lucas. I don't even think we need Lucas. Um, I don't know. It's 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 confusing. Um, I can work down the list. So David Silva's too old. Mario Gertz is too old. Uh, is too old. Uh, Lallana's I mean, too old. Gertz is. Goats is um, oh not old according to his passport, but um, unfortunately physically he's he's like a forty year old. Twenty seven um, is too old. Yeah, but um, I mean, but he doesn't. If you watch him run and play football now, he doesn't look like a twenty seven year old. This is this is the guy. Like if you read um, Honigstein's um, Das Reboot about the German team that went to win the World Cup, it it starts talking about Goats as being the kind of pin up boy of the of the reboot mm. of the German national team. And it's a bit, and it's it's just weird how his kind of career has just fallen apart. And yeah, I saw him come. Yeah. On for Dortmund the other day, and he was—he was not even—he was—he was an old man with a walking stick going around the pitch. He's had some really unfortunate health problems uh, in the mm. last few years, Gertzer, and it's just taken it out of him, and, yeah, and that is why I presume Dortmund probably aren't interested in renewing his contract. Uh, but but Nathan, with those players, you, you don't want to sign anyone over twenty-seven, is that right? Well, uh, Cavani and Mertens, who are both thirty-three, I think 
with our current uh, striker situation, with sort of not sure what's going on with Harry Kane, Parrot maybe too young, I would be interested in signing either of those players on a single year deal if we can yeah. negotiate them down to low wages because uh, I think they each have a couple of good years left in them. They obviously have no resale value. Um, so it'd be a matter of wages. I think they'd both be quite interesting. Cavani has like the best off the ball movement I've ever seen of any player ever. Um, and that hasn't left him. <laughs> like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cavani. Um, but at 33, it's, um, it's difficult. Um, so then we have Saar, who who looks to be a bit of a ball player. Um, I mean, the 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 production of of centre backs, ball playing centre backs through the the French system has been outstanding. So I, I can't talk too much about Saar, but the fact that he's getting you know a youth game time in the French national system, uh, and and he looks and he's getting senior game time at Nice, all speaks you know very well for him. Uh, yeah, Silva, Gertzer, Kazawa, Lana, too old. Uh, Lundstrom, not sure to be honest, not not. Not, not seen a huge amount. He's not stood out to me. Uh, 26, he's still pushing the age limit for me. So Lundstrom's an interesting one. He looked really good as a young player at Everton. Okay. Um, landed at Sheffield United where their fans took some time to warm to him. They weren't sure if he was going to even start in the Premier League and then they weren't sure whether he was going to play in midfield or in defence. Uh, but actually he's ended up as a box-to-box midfielder for Sheffield United and in that three they play. Uh-huh. And and they've really got a tune out of him and he's had a very productive season and has been a, a useful player for, for Sheffield United. I think were he to go anywhere else, he would not be anywhere near as good. I, I think he suits the system there. That they, they kind of have a nice blend in midfield with um, with Fleck, who is also excellent, I think. <coughs> uh and and I, I I think he works well in in the system that's built for him, but would struggle, for example, at Spurs. I, I don't think he's of the required standard to step up to a club like ours. But having said that, he's English, and we know that there are homegrown regulations, so it sure. might be that a, a bigger club would would want to take a chance on him. Who knows? Um, if we go back to the strikers briefly, we had another question from James New, who says, "What striker targets should we be looking at this summer? Milik, Volland, Osima." So. This Milik, uh, who Bardi's referred to already, is another Napoli striker, Arcadius or Arcadius Milik. Uh, Kevin Volland of Leverkusen, who's 27, and Victor Osiman or Osiman, 21 of Lille. Uh, what do we know of those? Bardi, you know a little bit about Milik. What kind of player is he? I mean, I, he's he's a he's a fine striker. He's, I don't I don't rate him that highly. The, when I've, the bits I've seen of him, he's never looked. He, he he's better than Piontek. And like, <laughs> if you think of if you think of like a, a striker who's a striker. Piontek, Soldado, these kind of players. I would. He's better than them, but I, I'm just not sold on him. And the kind of money that people are talking about for him, for a guy that's had two major injuries, I'm, I'm not sold on him. I think it would be a, a tremendous waste of money to buy him. Okay, I'm, I'm a fair bit higher on, on Milic. I, 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 I rate him pretty highly. Um, I see him as like a, a uh, you know, a, a number ten slash number nine, a bit of a Harry Kane blends it together kind of thing. Um, but I have similar worries about his exploding knees and mm. and, and how he's going to wage. And, and what kind of state they're in? Yeah, he's a lot of money. If it, if they're talking, yeah. if they're talking forty million pounds, it's, oh, it's an insane that's... amount of money to go 
with someone with two big injuries. Do, it, yeah. do the numbers stand out on any of them, Nathan? Um, Ozimhen stands out. 21-year-old putting up nearly 0.5 uh, expected goals per 90 in, in Ligue 1. Uh, definitely worth some attention. Um, and has been getting that from Man United, if and, you believe the transfer well, speculation. Well, I mean, that's something of a sign, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, 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 that's that's a player that I want to look at more, I, and I want my club to look at more. Uh, for sure, Voland is is good, but but twenty seven and and uh, you know an option there if we're running out of options otherwise, uh, but but not a standout one for me. Um, and then I would uh, my personal number one pick is uh, Odson Edward uh, Celtic, oh, yeah. who uh, who we have been linked to vaguely recently. Um, is, He's a yeah. lovely player. He would be a planning for life after Harry Kane type signing, I think. Yeah, 100%. Someone who 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 could do a job like as a as a rotation option now but then become a prominent feature of the team if we were to consider parting with Kane. I mean, I mean, yes, but I also think that he's like he's good enough to start for a like a top 6 Premier League side now. I think he's that good. I think he's he's ridiculous. And again, like Milic, like Kane, he's he is the complete forward. He he does it all. Absolutely everything. Yeah. yeah. The other player that I really like that I think is worth considering is Oli Watkins of Brentford. Yep, yep. Um, big not, shot. not in terms of, like you've just talked of Edouard coming in and just being a hit-the-ground-running top six player, but someone who I see as having yeah. a huge potential for growing into that role. Um, Watkins is an interesting one because he, he wasn't a striker until the start of last season where he got pushed up and has just done fantastically. The other thing, interesting thing about him and I don't know if this is a factor or not, but his agency, so he, his agent works for an agency that is quite a small agency. They don't have that many players in their books. One of them is um, Che Cooper, who's a young Spurs player. Um, but I, I always wonder whether that, in those kind of situations, can you sometimes get value? Because potentially it means that they need to cash in on their, their biggest assets if, if they're a smaller agency. Or, or, or they need a big move to be able to say, look what we've done for this player's um, progression. Like, have a player that they can say they've, they've moved onto a big club so that could factor in as well um of course championship players who are english often command um excessive fees for in, in respect to their ability so i think watkins would cost a, a fair old um sum of money but i really like him i think he's a, a really talented young player and someone we should be looking at I think um, I think Spurs should start um, free free project Tammy get Tammy Abraham out of Chelsea. Um, mm-hmm. I think Chelsea have shown willingness to, to sell players um, to anybody as long as people are willing to pay the price. I think with with Werner going there. There might be an opportunity. He, I think he needs he needs to command a, a starting role in at a top six team if he has aspirations to play for England consistently. And I think I think there's something that could be done there, but it would cost an awful lot of money. But I think I'd perhaps be willing to take that punt on Abraham. And I think if if it was about, if we were able to get him with Kane there, perhaps this could become some some kind of like tutorship where the the parts of the game where he's missing, he could easily learn that from Kane, and he could come. Uh, become a, a great striker for us I would be all over that he's fantastic Tammy Abraham I just can't see Chelsea selling to us as a, as a rival but um, yeah he's a he's a wonderful player really really good goal, goal scorer um, just, to, just to add on Alec added some recommendations at the end of his email uh, he said in honour of your quarantine viewing recommendations and in the spirit of the last dance uh, two of the best documentaries he's seen the Barclay Marathons the race that eats its young available on Amazon Prime and Icarus available on Netflix I don't know of either of those 
I do. <laughs> Icarus is good. And yeah. when I when I saw that, it reminded me of the thirty for thirty I'm watching at the moment of Lance. Um, yeah, they're both they're both very good. Cool. I- Icarus is is fundamental viewing. You have to watch this because it will help. You will become clued in on the fact that every single major athlete in the world is absolutely pumping their veins full of this stuff, and that's mm. the reality of, of top level sports. Yeah. Um, if you watch the um, the Lance um, thirty for thirty in part one, this is, this isn't a spoiler. He he was doing he was doing some things and then he went to the tour and he was he wasn't clean but he was reasonably clean and he just got absolutely blown away by everybody and this is a guy who'd spent his young part of his career destroying grown men he was winning like triathlons at the age of 15 clean against other athletes turned up at a tour reasonably clean and just got absolutely destroyed by people so he was just like he does put it that way that i had to start taking epo as well just to compete but uh, it's, it's a really good documentary and he's 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 being quite open and honest but without being lance armstrong about it so it's it's it's, it's really well really well shot really well put together nice so um solid recommendations there from uh, Alec. the barclay marathons i haven't seen uh, the race that he's young but what i have seen is a youtube documentary called where barclay marathons where dreams go to die by the ginger runner and oh my goodness what a documentary it's it's one bloke with with like one camera i think uh, and he follows someone who takes part in the Barclay Marathons. They're, they're a really, really interesting uh, an event uh, and sport, essentially, which is like the extreme distance. 100 uh, mile race. Yeah, race. 100 mile. Well, the Barclay Marathons is now like 120 miles because it continues to grow <laughs> and increase wow. in difficulty. Um, but it's like this, sort of, yeah, this orienteering mega marathon nonsense where they run for 60 hours. Um, it's, it's absurd. And it's 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 great watching as well. Nice. I did catch up on the last dance. Um, I haven't quite finished it, but I, I mean, I don't recall watching like a, a single basketball game in my life, to be honest. <laughs> but even from that perspective, it is phenomenal. It's really watchable. Uh, really, really fascinating. I've loved it. So yeah, thanks for that, Barley. I think I've I've stalled around. I haven't watched it one for a couple of weeks now. I think I'm sort of episode seven, episode eight. I must be closing in on the end, but I think I'm starting to lose interest. But there you go. I think I'm I'm losing. Um, any kind of empathy for Jordan's position, and I'm getting frustrated with the the, the narrative of the documentary. Okay, but there you go. Yeah, I've not got I'll, to that point. I'll push yet. on. Uh, talk a little bit about Huey Bier, uh, who is a player that I've liked for a while, <laughs> is actually being linked now. Uh, I don't think he is the perfect signing for us. I think we could get a better defensive midfielder. No, um, no, 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 no. You've been going on and on and on and on about <laughs> it. Now the possibility that all of a sudden we're going to sign him, you're now going to be like, oh, maybe he's not perfect. <laughs> No, Wendy, nail your colours to the mast and stick with this. He's the perfect signing for us. So when he's, if he signs, we know we'll know who to blame. But just don't, don't start flip-flopping now, mate. What right. I was going to say before you so rudely interrupted me was Take I don't two. think he's a perfect signing, but I do think he's an upgrade on most of our midfield options. Well, that's if not, not all of them. We're that's not true. having a defensive midfielder. That's that's the take. <laughs> if we bench to have Hoiberg than, than so not having a ball winner. But he's a much better uh, gap filler than... Mm. Winks and Sissoko. I think he's a much more wow. competent footballer than than Eric Dyer. So is Polyfiller. They're better than <laughs> <Gunfillers>, mate. <laughs> 
but the most impressive thing about Kjoibjerg, I listened to the interview that Andy Brassel did with him for the Football Ramble, and he is uh, a fantastic person as well as a, a good footballer. So what I hadn't realised about him, um, he, he suffered suffered a bereavement when he was quite young, which changed his perspective on things. He's incredibly intelligent uh, about football and all kinds of other things. He, at Southampton, one of the reasons he's club captain is because he's got this concept of uh, understanding that the DNA of the club runs throughout every age group of the club. So he, he treats the under 10s as, you know, a, a, a worthy group of, of young footballers and will communicate with them. And he says that that comes from being at Bayern, where the, the, the Bayern DNA ran through the club, where they'd have players in their 70s still working as ambassadors and in, uh, in roles there. But he said that, you know, one of the reasons he was recruited to Bayern was because it was already in him to be like that, to, to understand and appreciate uh, the nature of, of a football club. He's a really, really, really interesting character. I would urge you to listen to that interview. It was fascinating. And I do feel as though he would be um, the glue in the, in the dressing room and on the pitch, to be honest. And I'm I'm well up for signing him. Me too. Nathan, have you dug deeper into the numbers? I haven't done yet. I, well, I've, I've glanced over the numbers. I... I, I, I uh... I want to watch more footage, which I keep saying, and I haven't done. But I, I, if we are, if the links continue to grow, then I will, I will, I will get my homework in, and I will watch six or seven Hoiberg games. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I he he's good. I don't know if he's great. I don't know if he's quite the right profile. Um, I've said all this before, but you know. Yeah, and I do think he's the kind of signing that would be sneered at by the rest of the football community. Sure. I I, re- I really do. I think there will be a lot of um, noses turned up at that if we were to sign him. I, he's in the last year of his contract, so there's going to be some value potentially right he, he's not uh, going to be anywhere near peak value uh so the upside is you get a player who you might say you might get half price something like that and so if it doesn't work out you flip him so it feels logical the only the only problem i guess is whether we've got a transfer budget that can allow us to even buy him at a half price and, and we don't really know enough about that at this point I thought this was an interesting one from uh, Scott LeBear. He says, does having Jose as our manager help or hurt us in the transfer market? He says, I know the pandemic is going to change a lot and how teams are going to do transfers. Do top players still see him as someone they want to play for? Or has he lost some credibility over the last few years? Bardi, what do you, what do you think of that? Do you think Mourinho is an attractive proposition still to play? Yeah, I don't I th- there is There is a lot of myth around managers and everything else. But I, I do think this, this holds true that certain, certain players, depending on their makeup will want to play for certain managers and the pull of the manager is is effective um i think Mourinho still has an aura especially on the continent perhaps not in this country but he still has a, a major pull in italy i think in spain he still has a little bit of a pull so i don't think it hinders us um i think it probably does help us he is one of the most successful managers still active in the game so i think it, is, it definitely helps us it, it, it does nothing there's nothing hindering us by uh, hindering us by him being our manager how about you Nathan I don't know to move one I definitely like it's it's evidential that players are like excited to play under Joseph like Alderweireld's immediately signing and everything yeah um, you know players are excited by him but I think that the type of player who he draws in are not really the type of player that we should be signing so you know peak players who are like okay now I'm ready to, to leave my my slightly smaller team to go and win a trophy um, I don't I think that we want to be buying sort of young hungry players um, 
before their peak and everything because that's where our budget forces us to be and I don't know if he has the same pulling power for them because of his reputation with young players so um... yeah I mean if we if we have to turn down a, a road where we're signing slightly older players who have one last shot of glory Mourinho is probably a good manager to to squeeze the last bit of juice out of them he has managed to do that quite a bit throughout his career yeah, so it would fit quite well with the Mertens or Cavani. Sure. Signing, yeah, I guess. I mean, as, it's as not long as, we, as long as we don't sign into long contracts. That's that's the fear with a manager like Mourinho, isn't it? That he's mm. he's going to be here for the short term. He might win us something, but he might leave us with a squad that then needs complete rebuild. Yeah, there's there's a balance to be had. You, can, I'm I'm all for signing a 32, 33 year old player here and there, but you've got to have that. You got to have youth players also being thought about and brought and kind of being prepared and the the next wave kind of. Sit, waves, but then the next group <laughs> ready, next group ready to go. Sure. So speaking of youth players, Andrew Patterson says, can Skip break into a rotation place next season, or is a loan more likely? So he obviously was part of the the eleven v eleven training match. But what do you think, Nathan? Is is Skip ready to get some more exposure, or does he just need to go out on loan at this point? That's a good one. Um, he'd start to get some game time with us again towards the end of the the season pause, as it were. Uh, there's definitely, I don't know, he's a talented young player. I, I don't know if he's sort of yeah probably alone is best I think he needs game time I think that there's a lot of talent there he needs he needs I'd like to see him specialize more as a six he's sort of generic midfielder at the moment I think he wants to sort of be a be a a ball playing six who can turn on the ball and 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 work things that way Uh, or say no I'm not that type of player I want to be a box box number eight who arrives in the box that sort of thing um but but sort of but force a direction, become that player. Say this is what I can do, um, and do that while getting game time. You know, Championship, lower half, Premier League, Liga, Bundesliga, La Liga, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And just start turning out nineties, basically. Yeah, I'd, I'd loan him out for sure if we can bring that in would, a midfielder. <laughs> yeah, that would then put him in a really strong position for the following season uh, with a with a year's football under his belt. I think what we don't want for Skip is another nothing season where he just gets a, a handful of minutes. Two it's yeah. not good it's not good uh, that would that straight me buddy you're a fan of skip aren't you yeah i was a fan of skip i'm not I, I still am but um he seems to always appear towards the end of the season and he has a couple of moments and you think oh okay we're going to see something more of him this year and i i, I thought this year was going to be his breakout year because i, I like the cut of his jib towards the end of last season but it hasn't worked for him he um he needs a loan what nathan just said uh, i thought was really really smart the um he has become a generic midfielder what what does he do other than just be a CM he needs to, um, maybe he needs to kind of define himself and I think uh, a loan out to a, a decent football playing um, lower league a lower Premier League team or perhaps a top top championship team is where he'll find out a bit more about himself yeah no I agree I agree and I think that's perhaps perhaps almost a function of Spurs' academy we we tend to produce uh, midfielders who are kind of do it all midfielders so Winks is an example Benton mm. was also a bit of an example Mason by the time he got to the first team was an example um, they weren't they're not specialists in any particular area and, and now what we're seeing with Winks for example is he's happened to almost reinvent himself as a six to become uh, a, play, a, a mainstay in the first team and I guess Harvey White is another similar player. Jamie Bowden arguably is another similar one. I, I think both of them should probably focus as, on being sixes in the long term. But at the moment, as it stands, they're kind of they can play any role in midfield. Uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. It's good to be flexible, sure, mm. but they, they you, you do need to end up on a decide on the final position and stick to it. I think yeah, significant yeah. game time there. Yeah, I don't 
know whether it was used for midfielders, but a two-way midfield, I don't know if I've just invented that. I don't think so. I think I've probably heard it somewhere. But I don't think there's any room anymore in, in, in modern football for a midfielder who just does a bit of everything, you know, get around. He's either got to be, um, he, yeah, he needs to specialise and figure out the role that he wants to play within a team. Mm, yeah, agreed. Um, Matt, who is talent on Twitter, he says, I find the talk about selling players at their peak value interesting. How do you balance wanting to win things with selling players at their peak value? So this is something we've spoken about at length over the last few podcasts. But I think it's it's worth interrogating a bit more because it's very easy to say in hindsight, isn't it, when we should have sold a player. Hmm. Um, is this something? Is there something in this about the sort of the binary nature of the way the media views transfers? Um, I'm thinking out loud here. I, I haven't got a plan of what I'm about to say in my head, but you know, you, you sort of see when a player sells a when a club sells a player who is seen to be a good player, they are uh, seen as a selling club, mm-hmm. aren't they? That that is a seen as a seen as a bad thing for that mm. club to sell that player, which is not necessarily true. And there needs to be a little bit more of a a deep dive into the the reasons behind that. Sale. Um, to understand it but of course the majority of football fans will tend to just go along with the media narrative I would have thought I don't know is that making sense what do you think Bardi yeah it makes sense essentially football clubs exist by hiring footballers and then moving them on selling them on or replacing them so it's just it's just a ridiculous term of tribalism that happens in England that oh my god we're a selling club because we're selling our Mm. best player you you have to sell to continue to improve unfortunately sometimes Tottenham we we sell Michael Carrick and we buy Didier Zakora and <laughs> our, our, our team doesn't improve. We we sell Gareth Bale when we buy six Muppets. It's not... <laughs> That's that's not Tottenham being a selling club. That's Tottenham being a bad buying club. Bond, selling yeah. Gareth Bale was a was a really good thing to do because it was an incredible amount of money. But we should have reinvested better. So that's, and that's our that's our problem. And it is I think I don't know if it's an English thing, but it, maybe there's certain clubs that will never sell to each other. River, Boca, even Barcelona, Real Madrid. There's been sales between those two clubs. But we just got to get on board with perhaps sometimes you need to sell to Manchester United or Manchester City and then take that money and buy better it's just about being smart and sometimes Tottenham aren't smart and that's fundamentally our biggest problem 100% there are very few clubs there are so few clubs that are actually protect from this I mean you have to be literally one of the richest clubs in the world to be able to hang on to players everybody sells they're actually holding value Barcelona sold Neymar Um, Real Madrid you know they had to they didn't I don't think they they needed to sell Ronaldo and they sold Ronaldo there's maybe one of Messi will probably never be sold and there's the very the footballers that that are unobtainable are very very rare everybody has a price yeah you're right you're right and you know even at City they're going to sell Leroy Sane this summer who is in in most people's eyes a very capable functional footballer who you wouldn't want your team to sell but they're going to sell him and they're going to get good money for him they're going to reinvest in a position that they think is more important Hmm. what do you think Nathan I think it's like a cow that every single day during 10 years sees the train crossing in front at the same time. And if you ask the cow (laughs) what time the train is going to come, it's not going to have the right answer. In football, it's the same. Experience? Yes, of course, experience. But hunger, motivation, circumstance, everything is so important. I remember thinking how weird that was at the time. (laughs) As you read it out now, it's even weirder. (laughs) You can't wear anything with kids. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Hey, uh, 
Voodoo Chopsticks, who is a legend who has helped us out massively with our, our streaming um, on, on God, on Discord, that's it. I was going to say Twitch, but that's what nathan has been doing. I'm, I'm showing my age. It's pathetic. <laughs> uh, Daniel is a legend, anyway. King. Uh, he says, to give Spurs a better chance to reach Champions League, if you could choose two players that play for other teams to be absent for the rest of the run-in, who would you choose to be missing? I thought that was quite interesting. So we, we, I guess we're looking at United, aren't we? And therefore, Bruno Fernandes would be quite handy to be missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had um, I put down Bruno Fernandes and uh, Marcus Rashford. I think those if we get if those two can fall down some stairs, that would be great. <laughs> How about you, Nathan? Who do you think is going to do the damage? Uh, if I don't we're know. not going to make it, it's very tempting to just say, you know, these are our rivals and here are the best two players. I think that we should um, remove defensive midfielders from football so that we mm-hmm. change football into a defensive midfielder. There's chaos. So mm. I guess, oh god, that's Scott McTominay. I can't advocate for the removal of Scott McTominay. That's such a <laughs> terrible answer. Oh Jesus! I uh, no, I'm backing out of that. Yeah, no, uh, Pogba. <laughs> McTominay's and... good, mate. McTominay's <laughs> good. He's not. He's, he's good. He's good. He's, he's, he's okay. Um, uh, yeah, Pogba, Fernandez. <laughs> we probably want to hurt Wolves. I think we want to we want to do Wolves in. Uh, so that's true. Uh, Raúl Jiménez. Yeah, probably Jiménez. Good shout. And um, Traore. Or Moutinho. Yeah, yeah. yeah Traore's had a good a good campaign. Diogo Yota as well has Yotta. had a very effective campaign. I went to Chelsea as well. I went defensive midfield at Chelsea. So Jorginho and um, also Chelsea. I think Aspelacueta. He's 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 getting that kind of taunt, John Terry ishness where he can just pop up and score vital goals. And I and I just. He's just too calm and too smart a leader, and I think I think he needs to fall down some stairs as well. And they might wobble. <laughs> so, talking of Chelsea, uh, we had an email from Alex Barnes. He said, "How interested are you all in the rumours that Mourinho wants Kurt Zuma, and that Chelsea may need to sell him to fund their moves for Werner and Chilwell?" He says he seems to me to be the right age. So he's twenty six in October and experience level to really kick on and fulfil his huge potential. Um, are you a fan, Bardi? Were you surprised to see this link? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by. It. I mean, Zuma's a he's a, he's a solid enough Premier League defender. I don't think. I don't think he's. He's. I don't think he's amazing. He's decent. Um, he played well in, in defensive midfield a couple of times against us. After after we destroyed um, Mourinho's Chelsea team at White Hart Lane, he then um, deployed him in that in that gap between his behind uh, Matic and in front of his back four, and kind of denied Kane any kind of space in 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 the in the League Cup final so I don't know I wouldn't say it's a bad signing if we get him it's not the most exciting but it's a fine signing it wouldn't show a great deal of faith in Eric Dyer being converted to centre-back would it no no not at all it, it, the, signing Zuma would basically imply that he doesn't think Dyer is going to be up to it I would think what do you think Nathan are you a Zuma fan uh yeah he's he's quite good he's uh, 25. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have sort of any s- strong feelings anyway with with Zuma. Um, kind of a, a middle of the road signing in that like he's good. I guess it would make sense. Obviously, Mourinho was keen on him. Has worked with him before. Mm. Uh, yeah. I I I his ball playing's a little limited. Um, yeah, that's it for me. I'm not he, I'm not as hot for that reason. Yeah, and then he's also another player who has um, eviscerated one of his knees in the past, which is always a worry. I just don't think. I mean, so let's go over the centre back situation. 
situation again. So we've, next season, we're likely to have Toby Alderweireld, Davinson Sanchez, Eric Dyer as centre-back. Jaffet Tanganga, who we know is primarily a centre-back, but has been playing a lot of full-back. And then we've got these question marks over Jan Batongan and Juan Foyth. We expect both to not be at the club, probably Batongan having left on a free and probably Foyth being on loan for a season, maybe. Um, is Zuma better than any of those? He, he's probably a bit better than Eric Dyer. I don't think you necessarily need better. I think that I think that we need to move on from Eric Dyer, mm. and I think yeah. that you need at least three centre backs who are who are capable of you know filling in significant game time. So I think it's a matter of numbers, and I think a twenty five year old does sort of make sense. You want a, a just pre peak centre back who is. Yeah, ready to hit the wall running. I guess. Yeah, I guess Zuma makes a lot of sense. He's just not personally uh, exciting in in his style for me. Is all really not really not exciting. He's gonna take in like a hundred grand a week wages or something crazy, eighty grand a week, whatever. Uh, he's another player that means that the homegrown quota it becomes more problematic. I would way way prefer us to put our faith in Tanganga as centre back and just develop him because I think long term he'll be a better player than Zuma. Frankly, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not keen on that idea at all. Personally. Uh, we've got a few questions about the substitution situation. So, in when, when we restart, uh, there will be five substitutes allowed. So, you'll be able to name nine players on the bench and bring five of them on in any given match. As a result of that, we've got a question from Kenneth, who is called me Kenneth on Twitter. He says, Predict how Jose would adapt to the increased amount of subs available, a main 11 with a lot of subs used, lots of rotation with key players coming back when needed, or just run one 11 into the ground. Uh, someone's already made the joke that Mourinho is going to be the first manager to make five. <laughs> subs at the same time which I, which I enjoyed um, uh, you're not allowed to we... you can't do that so. is that, is that <laughs> right can, I think you, uh, well in the Bundesliga at least I think you can only make three at a time or three within a certain <laughs> period of time or whatever so you can't make five I don't think you can make five at a time but I don't think any coach would want to make five at a time oh unless it's for the purpose of time wasting in which case you save all of your subs for the like the rem- after ninety minutes when you're one nil up and you bring them on one after the other after the other each time the ball goes out. But other than that, um, I, you wouldn't want to. No, Nathan, do you have any views on the the new subs? Yeah, man, it's really interesting. Um, I so in the Bundesliga, coaches were at first pretty sort of scared and reluctant to use all five, sort of trialing out, seeing how they feel because it's like it's a payoff between like you want that freshness, you want to spread the experience out, you want to spread the the minutes out, but it's like um you can really disrupt a team and and the flow of the game and the instructions if you if you make too many changes at once. So it, it's sort of um sort of feeling things out, but like they're definitely leaning towards five and away from three now. Um which I think is predictable and makes a lot of sense. I think that apart from anything else, what it will do is it will for Mourinho specifically, but for everyone, um you will feel safer using up your subs earlier. If you have a player who's taken a knock, you can use up one of your five because you've still got four left. If you have a player who's on a yellow, you can use one of your subs because you've still got four left. If you want to make a tactical change, you can use two subs because you've still got three left if someone gets injured. And I think that that gives you so much freedom with your decisions. That's a really big positive. And then the final thing is that, okay, now you can finally start using up your fourth and your fifth sub at 70 minutes to get Troy Parrott on the pitch, to get Skip on the pitch, to give them the game time that they need um, without, you know, <laughs> having already used your subs to get key players on to make important tactical changes. I really like it. I'm, I'm really excited for what it will mean for football, but for Spurs as well. It's interesting in terms of the tactical changes, you can essentially use your subs to make a change and then if it's not working you can use more subs to change it back which really does offer flexibility which we've not seen before and could actually 
lead to some innovation, I think. Yep. It, uh, uh, more experimentation, certainly. It, 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 as soon as I read that, it reminded me of um, Italian football. Oh, um, really, mate? <laughs> yeah. So, um, in, in 1970, uh, Valcareggi was the Italian football manager, and he was, he was blessed. It, that he had two of the most gifted creative forwards in the world at the time. He had Gianni Rivera and he had Sandro Mazzola. Uh, Mazzola played for Milan. Rivera played for for Inter. Oh, no, Mazzola was Inter and Rivera was Milan. And in typical Italian conservatism, oh no, 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 we can't have two wonderful creative attacking players on the on the pitch at the same <laughs> time. So they they did what they called la stafetta, which is means relay. So he would he would say to Mazzola, Mazzola, you've got forty five minutes, just go out there and go gangbusters, give everything you can do. And then he would come off at half time, and Rivera would go in. And this is a tactic that Italy did all the way through the um, the 1970 World Cup, where they managed to get to the final. But he didn't he didn't actually do it in the final. He bottled it in the final, and then put on Rivera with six minutes to go. So I, w- I was thinking about this that if you've got a player like, for example. Kane or another player who's maybe not fit. You've you've got the license now to just go out and you can press, you can ultra press. And I think for a team like Liverpool, for example, who who go out hard and push really hard in the first part of the games, but then often fade away towards the end of the match and sometimes hang on and become very counter-attacking. I think for Liverpool, this is going to be an amazing thing that they can go out, floor, uh, floor it, press like crazy, safe in the knowledge that they can make those five subs and really change and bring freshness into the game. So I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to have a massive effect on on football and energy levels and the way people play. That there's not going to be no more stepping off it, teams will be able to go out full full throttle for for much longer eric um got in touch eric who's bloom q on twitter he made a similar point to you but he said could players split the responsibility of a position 45 45 mm. and could it lead to increased intensity so exactly what you're um coming up with there as well i mean what you've just described would hugely benefit teams with stronger squads so the larger clubs would be at an advantage the richer clubs would be at an advantage because they can afford to have more depth of quality players i suppose i mean i like it from the perspective that Nathan mentioned at the end in terms of giving young players opportunities but Spurs with a fully fit squad basically wouldn't necessarily need to have any young players on the bench because we've got enough to fill nine bench places with just our first teamers. I've always been of the view in terms of youth development that we should have the seven subs and then either an unlimited pool of your own homegrown Mm. players or like ten ten extra on the the roster as it were of uh, your named under 21 homegrown players. I I think that would be a really good um, way of ensuring that young players get more exposure to the first team. Yes, it would perhaps lead to you bringing players on for the end of games which are are dead rubbers, but better that than nothing, which is often what is the case at the moment. So I've always been been an advocate for for that as a change. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, frankly. But this is interesting. It's um, interesting to see whether it continues beyond this sort of restarted season. Uh, Presumably it's been brought back because the players have had a large pause. There's a chance of muscular injuries occurring and they want to help prevent that by allowing more substitutes. Is that the idea? I think that was the impression I got. I I think this I think this might be a, a rule change that is here to stay. I think I think it would benefit teams at World Cups and European Championships as well, where they have to play a lot of games. There's very little Definitely. rest. 
players are tired. We've seen, you know, Spurs, we felt the, the brunt of, of players going to a World Cup and not having any kind of time off. Um, and as you say, as well, it gives, it gives options. And all of a sudden, if you're signing for a, a team like Tottenham and you're, con- you're, not, you're concerned you're not going to get any game time, all of a sudden you're now exposed to first-team football. And that, yeah, youth players will eventually get on the, get on the pitch. And they will, Troy Parrott, for example, would have had more minutes. Um, Carl Walker-Peters, Oliver Skip, all these guys would have clocked up far more minutes had um, had we had five subs and had we had five subs, Marcus Edwards would have got more minutes at Tottenham yeah. as well. So I, I think it's a good thing. He he scored another goal. Did you see? No. <laughs> really, really good finish. Another really good finish. Um, he's he's going to get a move in the transfer window. I'm sure of it. He's doing really, really well. We got a buyback, Very happy we? For Edwards. We got a buyback clause. Uh, I don't think we've got a. <laughs> no, of course we haven't. It's Spurs, we've got man. Got a sell on though. Oh, great! So we'll get. I think it's like fifty percent of the. Mm. It's either fifty percent of the value or of the profit. Why don't Spurs? Why can't this? Is what we mentioned earlier. Why can't Spurs be smarter? Just put. Just insert a buyback clause if he's really good, and we buy him back at whatever. Whoever offers this, a high amount of money, we have to match it. But if we match it, we get first dibs. Why can't we just be normal and be smart? I don't know. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I do wonder if perhaps bridges were burnt. Um, yes, <laughs> either side. But as a general rule, it's a good idea. Like Real and Barca do it a lot, and it really works yeah. out for them. Uh, because you just have all you like you can either allow the player to to you know because when a player is out on loan there's the mentality of well I'm just here for a year yeah whereas yeah. a buyback is like they have to to buy into the move and, and accept that this is possibly where they're you know even seeing out their career or where they're beginning their professional career and you still have the and, and you can do like two years for me the buyback system is so much better than the loaning system yeah City, City did it didn't they was it Angelino yeah they're doing it quite a bit now so so perhaps it will become more prominent in, in Premier League yeah it does help if you're a huge conglomerate as well like City and you've, you've got mm. the you've got the ability to do that sure mm. um, Brett Nurse says how much stock do you put into the rest of the season is there optimism to be taken from a positive finish pessimism from a negative finish or is this all just one big pre-season slash waste of time so what do you think Bardi is it is the 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 end of this season going to feed into the start of next well I think it's, they're going to I imagine they're going to be there's not going to be much of a gap between between the end of this season and the start of next season, I think it's a real good opportunity to put some optimism and get a bit of momentum and really roll into next season and uh, make a statement. Mourinho put his team down. He's had he's had an awful amount of time now with the players. I know he hasn't had them face to face. Well, not he has had some face to face illegally, <laughs> but he's this is a, he's had an opportunity to express his ideas, to talk to them, and now he's got them on a training pitch. I think I think any manager that that can't take advantage of this this period of time is you know is is not going to make it and hopefully hopefully we can come out of this stronger and start next season really well hmm. okay so on to the team selection um got a few questions about the the starting 11 Elliot Sheesby simply says starting 11 for the Man United game Mark W Dawson says full squad back from Reno to pick against United who's starting what's the formation and why and Apocalypto Doctor says what formation makes best use of Spurs players uh he 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 asked us not to diss uh, Lamella, Lucas, and Sissoko in doing that, <laughs> um, which might be tricky. Um, but what what do we think, guys? Um, in terms of a starting eleven, Nathan, have you got a view 
of what makes up our our best eleven at this point. Yeah, no idea because um, I don't know who's fit. <laughs> like, it's really hard to get yeah. any sort of idea as to what's going on with the squad. Um, I mean, can, can do you think it's pretty nailed on that Kane and Son both start every game when fit? Yeah, but I don't know if, if like Kane is going to be match fit to start. He might take a couple of weeks, or he might have to come off the bench a little bit. And you can, and because you have five subs, when you do that, you can bring him on at forty five quite happily because you've still got four left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. Um, The interesting thing with Ndombele playing as a 10 in the training game, it was it got me thinking if he were to play as a 10 in order to sort of release him from the, the shackles of that midfield role and, and take some of those defensive duties away from him, does mean he's then, he's competing potentially against Delhi and against maybe even the Celso for a starting berth, which probably wouldn't work in his favour. We know that Mourinho is a, a big fan of Delhi, certainly, uh, and has been of Le Celso, certainly in the last few m- matches before the break happened. Um, Bardi, any views on starting eleven formation? Uh, I think I think Kane and Son will will start just 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 the way Kane is. He he will start if he can, if he can run. He starts. Um, I I don't think we're going to see a huge huge change from the team we were seeing before before the lockdown happened. But we've just put Kane Kane instead of Lucas, and then put Son in there instead of probably Bergwijn. Will, and that will probably be our team. Lacelso Winks. Um, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on who's fit, but I think Kane and Son are definitely nailed on the start. It would be it would be ridiculous not to start them. It's simple. What we play a four-one-four-one with double inverted fullbacks. You play a, a, a pair of tens in Ndombele and Delhi, Lacelso wide right and Son wide left, and then you play Davies and um, Marsh as your <laughs> inverted fullbacks. It's all there. <laughs> If George Marsh is getting in the team, then I, I won't even bother watching any of the matches. Wow. Um, no, that's, that's that's really mean. I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. I, I would watch them. <laughs> um, the interesting thing was when, before Soko got injured, Mourinho was starting to use him as a right-sided player, mm-hmm. and he was having a bit of joy there as well. I wonder whether that might continue, or whether Lucas continues there. Does Bergvine switch over to the right because Son's back to play on the left? Does Son play up front with Kane? Uh, there's, there's a lot there's a lot of <laughs> to make, really. The there's defensive, a... I mean, Nathan's sort of outlined the potential in, in the fullback areas there. We know Aurier <laughs> is a huge favourite. He's going to he's gonna yeah. start Aurier, isn't yeah. he? So at, I think at the back, we can probably safely say that Aurier, Sanchez and Alderweireld will start. Mm-hmm. And then on the left, it's either going to be Davis, Sessegnon or Tanganga. I think actually my preferred choice for the rest of the season would be Tanganga at left back. I don't disagree. And then the midfield comes down to Lo Celso, Ndombele, uh, Winks, Sissoko, Dyer. Skip. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Skip potentially. I think of that I would like to see Lo Celso probably Winks and Ndombele <laughs> three. Oh, okay yeah no I like that I like that mm-hmm. yep and then and then you have a really difficult choice in the front yeah. three the problem, with, the problem with using a three man midfield Delhi. is where where do you play Delhi because yeah. you can play a three man midfield and then you either have to choose between playing a diamond which certainly Spurs fans despise or you have to make Delhi play wide so it, it, pick your poison Chris well I've always really like Delhi from the left I, I know that um, people said he got better when he moved to centre but he was a regular goal scorer from the left he makes those really smart runs to the far post he's very good in the air coming in at the back post um, the issue there though is that you then move Son to the right and I think Son is less effective probably yep. on the right and Son is one of our best players so why would you want to move him yep it's it's not easy nope <laughs> I, I, I think these are good dilemmas though aren't they uh, 
No. You know, having Bergwijn <laughs> as an option, and no. having Sissoko as a wide right option, having Lucas as an option, not a bad thing to have different players for different games. I, I, th- I think these conundrums only come up because we don't have a really good number six, so you can just play in the two-man midfield alongside Ndombele. Yep. That's true. That's true. And, then, yeah. and then the rest of the team kind of picks itself with, with Bergwijn as the fourth attacker, basically. Fifth attacker, yeah. Mm. Uh, Jack Redding says, if and when we can no longer qualify for the Champions League, classic Spurs optimism, I know, <laughs> What ways would you like to see the team managed? Heavily restrict Kane's minutes, play Skip, Gazaniga and other fringe players all the time for their development or something else. And what do you think Mourinho will do? And this is something that hasn't even occurred to me, but it's it's certainly possible. If, um, it, let's say we lose against Man United and the likelihood of qualifying for the Champions League is, is minimal or impossible, um, would he then start experimenting? Would we see Skip get some regular minutes in the number six role that Nathan mentioned earlier? What do you think, Bardi? Is, that, is Mourinho the kind of manager that would do that? No, I don't think so. But um, it's amazing. We, we were talking about Tom Mc, uh, McTominay earlier. It, it was Mourinho that gave him his debut instead of Pogba. So maybe he does know. Maybe he does know a little bit of a um, little bit of something about youth players. But um, I don't know. I I just want to see some progress towards next season. Some building towards it. I don't think that involves Skip. I think um, even if we lose our first two games, it will continue to tinker with the players he's got, and then try and try and figure out what, who who he needs to replace. I, I I just want to see some progression and some some idea and some plan of where we're going. What do you think, Nathan? Would there be a degree of experimentation? Uh, maybe a little bit, I think. Because I mean, there essentially has been a continuous experimentation the entire time because he's trying to solve mm. problems on the fly. I mean, that's in the entire season through two managers. So mm. uh, maybe maybe that he'll be even more freed up to, to, to do that. But I mean, that's what we're seeing because we don't have any answers. Yeah, uh, here's an interesting one. Clement says, would football be better without refs? No. I mean, so what? You get free kicked by someone shouting foul or you, do you mean everything is managed everything is managed by VAR it's like otherwise <laughs> you might as well just go down the park and just smack the ball at each other you need you need some form of, of discipline and someone needs to be in charge yeah I mean I assume he's talking about the rules still existing I'm not saying like would football be better without rules you have to have rules otherwise it's not football anymore but uh, would, I, would it be I, different with the refs I think I know what he's getting at here what he's saying is that referees are police and if we are to remove police from society based <laughs> on recent showings so we also have to accept the refs are part of that package and you know what I'm all in I, I accept I accept that referees are police and I, I recognise them as, a, as a, a cause for evil so it's yeah. time to move on it's time to defund I've, I've, and abolish referees yeah there's I've some bad referees said, out there I've always said that all referees are bastards a <laughs> rab like last time last time we podcasted and I said that we should have a respect campaign that's exactly what I said <laughs> We just um, need we just need better referees. We need intelligent, smart referees who are human and make normal decisions and aren't idiots. That's all we need. Just proper proper human beings as referees. But I, I wrongly thought that VAR would drive the standard of refereeing up and it's in fact driven the standard of refereeing down somehow. Uh, and I remain very cynical about the way it's been implemented and the way standards are going. I, I don't think referees have an easy time though. Uh and you know, for for all the reasons we've spoken of many times before 
mm. removing them from the pitch, um, I mean, it's hard enough with VAR as it is in, in the current form, but relying on it for every decision would be an absolute nightmare. How would, they, how would it then get communicated? No, it's, uh, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, ben Bowman says, not a question, more of a request for some Jan Vertonghen love. What are your memories? He says, mine was the goal in the 3-2 versus Manu, Vertonghen, De- Bale and Dempsey. Also, how sweet it was when it turned out he was a million times better mm. than Thomas Vermaelen. Buddy, what are your happy memories of Jan Vertonghen? There was the game with um, where he played Swansea away in the when Bale scored the lovely 12, goal. Twelve thirteen season. Yeah, Vertonghen played beautifully there. He scored. He scored. I think he scored a great goal as well. And I think Vertonghen. I always remember him. Kind of. Um, no, I got it. When he pulled down the pants of the Aston Villa striker. <laughs> Is it, who was it? Uh, begins I, with an H. Yeah, big, big uh, Scandi boy. Huge. Yeah. yeah. And he pulled down his pants and they didn't get a penalty. They should have had a penalty. Um, but it's kind of... <laughs> but other than, other than the comedy moments, it's the last minute kind of sly tackles. It's um, the fact that he's huge. He's a unit. I, met, I, I bumped into him in person and I, try, I remember trying to put my arm around him and it was like trying to hug a sofa. He was massive. And um, broad, wide. Yeah. Yeah, he's wide. Yeah, he, keeps, he goes on forever. He's a, he's a he's a lovely lovely footballer, and it was amazing how great he turned out to be. And it will always be good that he did end up better than Vermaelen. Um Yeah, and I'm I'm glad he's kind of leaving now before his before his performances deteriorated anymore. We still have um, the the goal he scored against Dortmund. The, the his performance away at Dortmund was also fantastic. You know, he he leaves perhaps I don't know if we can call him a legend because where we classify legends as a football club has changed dramatically. For example, Stefan Freund is a legend but he's he's not so if um so Vertonghen perhaps should be a legend he, he won't be that way but yeah he leaves I've got a lot of fond memories of him what a nice handsome man and a very good footballer I've had my ups and downs with Jan Vertonghen to be honest um I've I, I initially thought and I, I still to some degree do think this that the fact that he's so good on the ball has led to him becoming slightly overrated as a as a footballer because I think his defending is at times questionable I don't think he's very good at anticipating balls over the top and I think his positioning can sometimes go wrong when um, he's trying to be the, like the deepest centre back. Um, having said all that, and, and actually, there was a really difficult period during the, the Tim Sherwood reign, short as it was, where Vertonghen got called out often for his body language. He was not towing the party line at all. He was obviously I mean, really, really fed up with the whole situation. Yeah, there's mitigating um, circumstances there. Yeah, was... yeah, 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 100%, 100%. I agree, I agree. Um, I would say the other thing about him was people would say, oh, you know, is Tongan better at left back or centre back? And I always thought that he was quite poor at left back. Having said that, my 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 memory that stands out the most is the Borussia Dortmund game where he played as a left wing back. And from out of nowhere, he was absolutely outrageously brilliant from start to finish. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He rolled back the years for this incredible one final push. Yeah. And it was one of the best individual performances I've seen from a Spurs player in, in recent years. It was sensational. And you're right, Bardi, he's a really nice bloke. He's 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 kind of his personality's come to the fore more in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because he's got more confident or because the attention's been on him a bit more but he's come across as a kind of spokesperson I suppose for, he, for the players he has had that um, role for quite some time though I remember remember Ajax he got in trouble for um, uh, Priya told <laughs> us this story when he, he started right. he started a chant which was quite an offensive chant so I think is it Eindhoven or Feyenoord fans so he's he's always had that 
kind of rapport with the fans. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think in the last few months, his relationship is, with us has changed. He's more open. He his his partnership with um, his friendship with Dembele was really cute to see as well. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very clever. He's very dry, and I think that can mm. sometimes come off as uh, cold. But he, I don't think he is cold. I think that's just a facet of his personality. Nathan, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I have a deep, deep affection for Jan Vertonghen, uh, including his, his moodiness and his tendency to, to sort of shrink away when things are going bad, because I sympathise with that. I don't want to, you know, perform under someone who manages me like Tim Sherwoods did. Um, yeah, my memories of him are his, his ability on the ball, his calmness under pressure, um, his shrugging, his super Jan celebration. Uh, his yeah, series of, awesome. of of horrifically wrongly denied goals that he should have scored. <laughs> um, playing on the left of a back three and being like being a marauding centre back from the back three, constantly being like the spare man and carrying forward and getting attacks mm-hmm. like that way. Um, he's he's been an uh, an absolutely incredible player for us. It is slightly odd that we never really got to see him play in the defensive midfield role because we were promised some Jan defensive midfield action when he first joined. Never really happened. So apparently uh, he chose us over Arsenal because Wenger wanted to play him full-time as a defensive midfielder and he wanted to play centre-back. Uh-huh, okay. And he's played thousands of minutes of left-back instead, but there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, Morgan Daniel says, You guys have made a pretty compelling case that Project Restart is poorly thought out, morally dubious and potentially dangerous. How should we all feel about watching the games then, knowing that? And this is something I had a, an interesting conversation with someone on Twitter about um, recently, and I, I think it's fair to say say that the podcast I did with Alex uh, were, were pretty damning. Mm-hmm. And if I follow my views expressed in those podcasts to their logical cl- conclusions, my views would suggest that I will not be watching the football because I disagree with putting the players at risk. And if I believe that to be the case, I should do everything in my power to stop it happening and not watching it would be my own protest. The reality of the situation is quite different that actually I'm aware that that is going to have no impact at all on whether football happens. Yep. It's going to happen because it's driven by money. So yep. why would I why would I cut off my nose to spite my face? Basically, these players are essentially risking their lives to bring it in statement, so I might as well watch it. Hundred percent, it is not your responsibility. It's not your fault. It's not within your power, even slightly. Uh, boycotts essentially never work. There is one recorded history of a boycott working, and you have to examine the the, the wider context. Um, I encourage you wholeheartedly to enjoy this, and I also encourage you to speak out against it. And I don't think that it is hypocritical. I. I don't believe yeah. in boycotts. I don't believe in punishing yourself because of the gr- corporate greed. Um, enjoy this for whatever joy it brings you. Um, for me, it, I, I imagine I will struggle with it a little bit because I will be constantly aware and thinking about how un- unnecessary this is and, and, and the damage. But um, if Spurs win games, I will be happy. And, and I, 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 I think that you all should too. Do you share that view, buddy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even boycott—it's not even going to, it's not going to even have a slight, slightest impact on the club. Um, if Spurs, how do you feel about your season ticket? Spurs gave me the money back, and um, I'll probably use that money um, that they've given back to me on on next year's season ticket, which I probably wasn't going to buy. But the fact I'm going to get two hundred something quid back from Spurs means uh, obviously I'm two hundred fifty quid better off. So um, yeah, and then I'll just give it straight back to the club. But um, I'll, I'll watch the games if Spurs, Spurs, if Spurs win. That makes me happy, which is obviously good for my mental health and everything else. If they lose, I will just, you know, the same old 
old Spurs, isn't it? I've, I've actually enjoyed this kind of break away from the, the, the Tottenham that we saw before in February, March. I've enjoyed this break. Um, I think the last game I went to was losing on penalties to, to Norwich in the FA Cup. And oh, That feels so long ago. I know. I, I, I was thinking about it the other day. It was the, the, the early March, 4th of March, being in the stadium when the coronavirus was, it was, it was on the loose, man. And um, grown men waiting to wash their hands. It was incredible scenes. Um, <laughs> meeting Alan, who's part of the Birmingham Spurs lot, um, shaking his hand and then thinking, ah, I just washed my hands. How am I going to eat my M&Ms? But I, so I had to eat all my M&Ms with my left hand <laughs> because I, did, I didn't want to get sick. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm looking forward to the football coming back. And shall we go through isolation recommendations to finish off? Anything else you've been enjoying consuming, Nathan? Uh oh, god! What have I watched recently? Um, I'm suddenly drunk. <laughs> I've been watching a YouTube channel called uh, Historia Sevilla. Let me ch- double check if I got that right. But essentially, I've been like <laughs> learning about Roman history. Uh, Historia Civilis. Um, just like yeah, twenty minute, ten minute videos on various important parts of Roman history and working my way through it chronologically. Um, okay. but more seriously, I will repeat my recommendation from earlier, which is Andrew Von Davies. Um, I've already forgotten the name of the book. <laughs> Shit. Uh. Freedom is a constant struggle. Mm-hmm. Nice. And yeah, I, I definitely, once again, reiterate why I'm no longer talking to white people about race is a fabulous read. And there's a podcast series that goes alongside that. I also absolutely adore Have You Heard George's Podcast, which is produced by or put out by the BBC. It is so good um, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I was very late on it. The first few episodes just blew my mind. It's so different to any podcast uh, in, in the way it's produced. It's magnificent. I won't say any more about it than that. I also watched watched um on netflix uh extraction oh, yeah. the, the the movie uh starring chris hemsworth uh which is absolute trash but it is highly enjoyable trash and i i strongly recommend that for like mm-hmm. a, a mindless film viewing night how about you buddy yeah I, I i agree with you on extraction i've been enjoying um disney plus i've been um, thoroughly enjoying the mandalorian which is brilliant and uh, you have a film i watched a while ago but I, th- I think it needs repeating because it's so good i watched the the queen of Catway, which is an incredible film and people should go and watch that one more from me one more that's topical from me which is the end of policing uh it's currently free to download as a pdf so the hardback is uh 17 quid but they uh, you know based on current events they are currently giving away the pdf of the end of policing free on versobooks.com so i guess this is theorizing that if we just got rid of police entirely things would be better uh it's an argument in that direction and um well, it banks it up, essentially. Um, it, it, it's an exploration of, of that topic. Uh, it's certainly, uh, and I appreciate that it is a very radical idea. Um, but yeah, I think see, that I, things I, are radically I, I, far from good. I do always enjoy hearing about sort of um, high concept radical theories. Um, but at the same time, because it's so far removed from what we're living with, it's really hard it's to difficult. Like, get, get anything from it because you know it's never going to happen. So you're like, what's the point? I'm just frustrating myself by reading something like that. But of course, if we were to start again, 
again, in modelling society, there are many, many things that we would do so differently, aren't there? And I, t- I, I quite often think that. Like, what was it the other day I was thinking about? I think it was, like, around rules around alcohol or something. Sure. I was just thinking to myself, like, why, why, why is, is it legal? like... How is it still like this now? <laughs> it's just mad. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes better not to even have those conversations in your head because they just become depressing and cyclical. Why are you laughing, buddy? Uh, no, it's just a little bit Alan Partridge there. I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, your inner monologue there. I thought it was quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to think about right now. Mm. And rules on alcohol are one of those as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really